building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. So, Victor, you do the kind of missionary work that little boys dream of growing up and doing. Iraq, Syria. well-armed, Syria, oh, yeah. all that. Yeah, uh, We've been very fortunate, Ken, to, I'd say, do something that was uh, big enough for our heart. And you're right, a lot of us dream of it. And even when I served in the Marine Corps, you know, back in the day, you know, I served under, I'll date myself, President Reagan. Uh, you know, we didn't deploy for any war, and you had all that training, you kind of, I always wondered, man, you know, uh, I was a competitive shooter and instructor and all that. But I thought, wow. And then the war clocked off a little bit after I was out, and they called me back, and I was married. And my wife said, I think I'll go with you. So we went, and they're like, hey, we'd like to give you the opportunity to, because I was in the Red Reserves. I'll never forget, uh, newlywed, as we walked away from there, she said, not a chance. She was my dad was a Marine. Served in Korea, and she goes, I, I, I swore I'd never marry a Marine. So she goes, you know, we got married, but I don't want you going off the war. It was very hard. I was a new Christian, and I was as egotistical as any young man in Marine. I said, you know, you know, I, I'm called to serve my country, and da da da. And of course, we fussed about it pretty good. And then she goes, well, then you just pray. I was like, I don't need to pray about this. Because I think you should. And so I did. And interesting enough, man, the Lord just said, no, it's not your time any longer. Follow me. That was hard. That was really hard because, you know, he placed in me a warrior's heart to do things that were maybe unique. Um, And because I'd survived so much garbage as a kid, you know, I, I don't think I had the same temperament or I mean the bar was kind of pushed up for me to fear things because I, I felt like I'd seen evil up and close so much yeah you have right so that it, it just didn't impress me and then even like years later when the second one clacked off and I thought okay and obviously I'm older and I said well you know at least I can you know I don't have to be a door kicker but I can train Kurtzman men because I've been training guys for years now, whether it was special forces or teams specific for certain things. And I remember, I haven't told you this, I had a friend put me in contact with the Commandant of the Marine Corps. Really? Yeah. And uh, when I said, hey, you know, I'd like to. I'm only 35. Exactly. And i never forget, i never forget, great leadership. And he just goes, well, Marine, I appreciate that. We all do. I think we got this, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'll let you know if we don't. And I said, "All right." So you felt one of my favorite movies is The Great Santini with yeah. Robert Duvall, mm-hmm. and he's got the line. He plays a Marine pilot, and he 
he he laments I'm a, I'm a warrior without a war. Oh. And so you felt a little bit like you were a warrior without a war. Absolutely. But you've used all that warrior training now for the kingdom. Yeah, which is interesting. I do believe the scriptures, and I do believe God created us for a purpose and a mission. The best thing we can do is seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and then he'll add these things to us. So here I am later in life, uh, not necessarily desiring to, to, to do things that would be considered in the you know, high-risk, non-permissive environment situation. But Hey, you're 55. You're supposed to be playing golf with yeah, Bermuda yeah, Shorts you know, on. Hey, I, I'm, I'm 50 and above, and I should be doing all that. And yet the opportunity came up and actually started in Burma, was the first one with Dave Eubank. Oh, really? Yeah. So Dave came and spoke, and someone to give me his book about Free Burma Rangers. I remember reading it going, man, I like this guy. I'd like to meet him. And and I actually got the opportunity to. He came to uh, a church in Southern California uh, where I attended. And I remember having kind of an excitement. I was like, man, I'm looking forward to meeting this guy. Uh, he's out of the box. And we bumped into each other like in the foyer. Uh, he was getting ready to speak. And I was, boom. And he, I said, hey, you're, you're, you're Dave. He goes, you're Victor Marks. I said, yeah. He goes, we love you. You're one of my heroes. I said, what? And I started laughing. I go, no, no, you're actually my hero. <laughs> he great. goes, no, we've watched your film like four times in Burma with, you know, uh, he goes, somebody gave me your movie a while back. And he goes, I brought over there. He says, no, we we watched it with solar-powered charge on a little. And, and, uh, and then he said those words. He goes, you need to come to Burma. And I went, uh Love you, man. I don't think that's that's what I'm called to do. But he says, I'm going to pray you over there. And he did. Two years later, hmm. I'm in Burma. Wow. Uh, doing a two-day pump in, you know, obfuscating the Burmese army. And What does a two-day pump in mean? Uh, we had to sneak in through Thailand into Burma to get in there where we were going. Wow. Uh, because he has a training center in a certain area of uh Burma, where he trains and equips indigenous people to be provide medical relief, help move people groups that are being attacked by the Burmese army, right? And provide God's love through tangible ways. And so he goes, man, I want you to come in and help train my guys shooting and then edge weapons with your combatives. He goes, you know, and I thought he was, you know, trying to fluff my skirt, but he's like, you know, no, you're a legend over there. there, there. And it was because of the videos, right? The, you know, you show the gun that's on video. Uh, so I said, well, and I felt like that. So I went, and uh, it was every bit as tough. And I knew physically, just on a physical level, it would be beyond what I was physically able to do. Because really? Yeah, because, you know, at, at that time I'm older, and I've had two surgeries on – my right leg, I've lost 40% of my hamstring, and I would not be able to do these forced movements, some of which were 20, 25 miles in a day, and not training, all real. We need to get there without being caught or detected uh, because the Burmese army hates their group, right, and would love to uh, kill them. So 
anyway, it, you know, man, I tell you what, they were gracious on me and with me and, uh, we did it. And I was, I stayed there and went to multiple locations and we trained a bunch of people. I got sick as a dog. I tell people, I think I got the mosquito fever. Uh, and here's, here's a perfect example about Dave. All right. Because if you're listening or watching this, you can watch his movie right now, Free Burma Rangers. It's on Amazon and Netflix. And you know what's cool is that Waterstone, who is uh, putting on this podcast, Waterstone produced that movie. No kidding. Yeah. If you watch the very beginning, it says Waterstone right there. And there you have it. So here's here's some insight, right, that I haven't put in a a book or told many people about. But this is kind of Dave's – I get really sick, like the first weekend. I mean – I'm hurling night and day, and I've got fever and sleeping in huts and hammocks. Um, oh, what a horrible There's feeling. spiders everywhere. Dude. Yeah, I mean, it's it's oh. it's just – it's intense. Did you have malaria? I I don't think I had malaria that quick, but I had some type of radical – you know, there's so much stuff going on oh, over yeah. there. And we're two days in, so there are no vehicles that can just take you out. There's no extract. There's no – it's you're, – you're there. So I was super sick, and then uh, I remember waking up one morning, and he goes, all right, today's the day you teach. <laughs> you start teaching, and I said, uh, Dave, let's, let's push the schedule out. Let someone else, because there was a, uh, a, a new friend there who, Sergeant Major Birch, legendary Delta uh, guy and leader, uh, and I was like, hey, you know, let's such a major take the day. I need a day, you know. Yeah, right. And he goes, oh, no, you'll be fine. You're up. I'm like, Dave, I'm dehydrated, man. He goes, I know. I'll get you something to drink. So I get up, and he's poking my pride because he's an Army. Wow. I'm a Marine. <laughs> he's like, yeah, but don't you Marines? I'm like, <laughs> so I get up, and I'm I'm walking. And it's a big open grinder, big dirt area in the middle of a jungle. The heat is sweltering, right? And you're, and I'm sick. I got fever. I'm weak. You, right. You know that feeling. It's just like the worst. <laughs> like, you're going, why did I come to Burma? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the night before, I was literally hallucinating with dreams. Like, oh, my gosh. I, it was just all weird. So I'm walking real slow, and there's 150 of these young indigenous, you know, uh, very courageous young warriors waiting for instruction. And I'm like, Dave, you sure? I mean, I, he goes, no, no, they're so excited about you. This is the combatives day, and I want you to teach, you know, weapons, uh, edge weapons. I was like, <laughs> I'm walking. I'm like, all right, all right. So I'm trying, trying to hydrate. I'm walking. And right before I get to this massive group, he looks at me and he goes, and they're going to want to fight you first. Nice. I, I, I said, what? He goes, they're, yeah, they're going to test you, the the lead guys. Oh. He goes, it's just the way they do. And I looked at him and I said, <laughs> Dave, look, I'm beyond that, brother. I mean, come on. I've done all my fighting and proving for decades. I, I don't – he goes, yeah, it's just the way they do here. <laughs> and then he goes, you'll be fine. And he gets up on this huge, massive boulder – and he sits smiling, smiling as I'll get out. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So here's this group. And sure enough, kind of their lead guys, uh, their experienced warriors are up front. And, and I'm going to teach edge weapons, right? 
and and I have a uh, I have a hard trainer that's you don't want to get poked by it because it it'll get you. And I start talking, and there's a translator, and I don't know what happened in the mix. All of a sudden, one guy comes at me, just like whoa, he comes at me, and I'm like a I'm dink, and then another guy, and then a third one, and um, I was not faring well for those moments because I thought, oh boy, here we go. And when one guy tried to take me down, instinctively I'm bending over to kind of, and then he headbutt me. I mean, on the money, now he hit on. the button, and man, that flipped the switch. Yeah, you know the breaker switch went kaka, <laughs> and then I pulled out that thing and just ran through them all, and they're all just on the ground. And I'm like, <sighs> and Dave's like, there you go, Marine. And then all the group, they're all excited, like, ah. I'm like, oh, okay. Is everybody impressed now? I think I'll go behind the rock and throw up and uh, train them. So it was a great time, but that's the type of leader Dave is. And I'll never forget, we had one night where Sergeant Major Birch, guy had been probably in 70 countries, uh, unreal military background. Um, and he's a good friend and someone I respect so much. He actually went with me to Iraq, our first pump in, which is a whole difference. Yeah. And he had swore he'd never go back to Iraq. Really? Yeah, he's like, uh, you know, Victor, I didn't, I didn't lose nothing, so I don't need to go back looking. But the one night he, uh, but he went with us. Uh, so the the one night he was going to speak, it was on leadership, leadership. So everybody was just ready. What are, what are the nuggets we're going to be able to pull out? And he gets up there after all the initial stuff. He walks up there, he has a little piece of paper. He thanked Dave. He, you know, greeted me. He's one of these, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And he goes, I'm here tonight to speak on leadership. And he had to do the same, he had to do the same thing. He had to, he had to do the two-day pump in. He was there. To, and he opens up his paper, and everybody's just kind of waiting. And he goes, the best advice I could give you on being a leader is to take care of your people. Take care of your men. And then he folded the paper, and then he walked off the platform right into the jungle. Wow. It was that dramatic where everybody was just, and Dave gets up. He's like, I feel convicted. <laughs> it, it was so powerful, and that's what he had to say. And not only did Sergeant Major lead by example, uh, I remember we were leaving a hooch one night on a movement, and uh, we slept there. It was just local people. We were doing a movement, and we slept in this little. And as everybody's packing up their gear and we're going to move out the next morning, as the sun was coming up, guess the last person to leave that big hooch was him. And he had a little bag, and he was he was fielding it. He was picking up people's crap, wrappers, paper. He was cleaning it up so it wouldn't be left to the people who loaned it to us. Wow. That's Greg Birch. Leader of leaders. So Dave, it was interesting because a few months later, and they were all gracious to me. I mean, they 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 helped the the old man out. He said, "Well, you hold the record for being the slowest person movement in in Burmese history." I said, "Thank you, Dave." He goes, "There's older women than you that move faster through the jungle." I said, well, "Thank you, Dave." And uh, you're enjoying the journey. Yeah. Why rush? 
And uh, but but when I went to Iraq, actually, I called Dave and said, "Dave, you need you need to come to Iraq and meet me." And he was like, uh, "Brother, I'm I'm in a part of Burma that I can't get out of. It, it I think it was like a it would be a seven day out. Wow. And and he goes, we're kind of surrounded right now. We're hunkered down. I'm trying to remember the best I can, but surrounded by the enemy. Yeah, the enemy. They're doing the relief work and high risk work. And he goes, for me to get there, I'd have to sneak out." get into China, then catch a flight to Iraq. He goes, and I, I actually, I think it was like a seven or nine day. He just goes, I, so every day he'd call me from, um, you know, a sat phone. He'd go pray, just pray. If I'm supposed to do this, I will. And he got out in three days and they walked right through the middle of the Burmese army. And he got out through China. We had a plane ticket waiting and him and his son, Pete, landed, and that's when the journey began, which is uh So what's the journey? journey? When you go over to Iraq and Syria, what do you do? Well, our initial goal was to reach girls who had been held captive by ISIS and um, provide trauma relief for those who had been tortured and abused. And, and it's actually something actually I didn't want to do. And uh, so it was my wife that said, honey, you need to pray about this because we had gotten an invitation through a friend, through the Karaji government. And I, I was like, babe, I'm just back from Burma. I still got the mosquito fever. I'm getting every afternoon I'd, I'd have a little fever and be weak. I was like, yeah. She goes, you need to pray. She does that whole praying thing. Like, ugh. And you know, sure, women are better at that. They, us, they tend to be. And, uh, and we should listen to them for that. So I did pray, and the Lord said, yeah, you need to go. So I put together a team, and Greg, actually, Sergeant Major Birch was on it for security, and we went over there. And what happened, there's no way you can prepare. That I don't care how much training or experience you have, what we stepped into was the most extreme of events I'd ever seen in my life. And it was cities being overrun and overtaken by ISIS, beheadings, murders, massive killings, mass graves, young women being held captive, children as young as, you know, five that they justified raping. We we kept focused on the mission, found the girls we were supposed to, and then everything kind of expanded from there. One thing that happened, and I have to, I have to tell the group listening, I mean, it shocked me as uh, when we were prepping to go, my wife came up to me and said, I think I'm supposed to go with you. I was like, uh, no, you're not. No, <laughs> no, no, no. The wives don't go on these things. She goes, no. I'm. So obviously we had a bunch of discussion that turned into what I call heated fellowship and uh, I, a lot of fussing. And I remember asking her, why in the, why in the world do you want to go? You know, this is it's bad enough. You're putting your thumb in me to take a team and go. Why? And she goes, she goes, you you will find the girls. I know you will. Mm. But when you do, you can't hug them. But I can. And they'll need to be hugged, Victor. And I mean, what, that's awesome. What do you say to that, right? Yeah. I just went, man, this woman, what courage. And she went. And I, I remember, I remember again in our heated debate. I'm like, she goes, what is the worst that can happen 
to us. I'm, I'm sure you had a list. Yeah. And ultimately, I ended up on, I'm like, this, this. She goes, okay, so we die. I go, yeah, that death. Might, that might not be the yeah. worst. But it was funny because she said, well, even if we die, don't we win? Mm. Isn't, isn't heaven real? To- if we die doing God's work. Right. And that's, that's really where I think I started to develop the mindset. If I'm in God's will, is really any of my business how or when he takes me home. It's beyond me. So I refuse to worry. I, re- I refuse to fret. It's not my business. God's sovereign. I don't have that type of sovereignty. That takes genuine faith, doesn't it? It, uh, it does. And I thank my wife for it because she's the one who really, and she has again and again proven, you know, and I think with Dave's family and, and us and some things, we've really learned we don't want to make decisions based on our pride or ego. But in that, we slip to that so quickly. Oh, well, you Especially know, we men. We men, right? How, well, this might me look good. If I say this, or what if I do that? Okay, is is, uh, is anybody watching or whatever, you know? Or we don't want to make decisions based on fear. I don't want to. And believe me, there are plenty of times I would wake up at 2 in the morning, full anxiety, just going, what am I doing? What am I doing? And the devil has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Right? Yeah, as my wife says, babe, you're pretty brave in the daylight. <laughs> as I'd wake up going, ah, because I think I've, I think, you know, been over 14 times, 14 pumps into high risk areas, facing ISIS, and people who definitely know me and want to kill us. And uh, I go, and she'd go, honey, just, or she'd say, are you negotiating with the devil? And I'd be like, well, I mean, kind of. She's like, you scripture. I'm like, okay, let me think here. Uh, Mary had a little lamb. No, wait. Mary was the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God. I don't think that's that's not a scripture. And and she literally would just feed me one. It's like throwing me a mag. Here, put this in. And I'm like, okay, that's a good scripture. So we ended up, um, we, you know, we ended up where it changed was on our first in, and we had found some girls, and we were ministering to them and helping them. And a girl kept looking at my wife's wrist. And there was a watch on it. And this girl had poured out her heart. And, and you know, we went to places where, I mean, there were times you could still hear shooting, right? So it there was, there was naughtiness going on with ISIS. And this girl was free. My wife was hugging and sitting next to. And i never forget, she kept looking at my wife's watch. And then she, my wife finally said, do you, do you like this watch? She goes, yes. And Eileen took it off and gave it to her. And I'm like, I gave you that watch. That's, you know, hey, can we go get her something else? I mean, and but that's how my wife values people. I'm not any better than you. doesn't matter where you're from, who you are. And that's a sign of someone who's a saint filled right. with spirit. Right. Do you ever... You know, when, you, when you're over there like that, mm-hmm. I mean, do you ever really want to go and kill the guys that did this to them? I mean, it's you see that trauma. You see their faces. And you guys all have the skills. I've met some of the guys on your team, and you got all crazy. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this. Yes. And you have the skills to do it. I mean, ISIS is no match for you guys. Well, I, I think in certain situations of people we were embedded with and as a big team, yeah, they got their feelings hurt. 
yeah, it, it didn't turn out good for him. What I had to be careful to guard my heart personally, oh, yeah, because, and I explain it like there's a one of the, boo, what's the Spider-Man film? The alien thing would get on him and start to grow the black one. Venom. But that's how I kind of thought about it. It was like the, the venom would kind of get and grow on you where it'd start to grow and it would overtake you. And then, you know, you know, hey, I'm supposed to be doing, a, a, I'm not here to hunt men. I'm here to save kids and women. But, but it's, it's easier for easy. us to turn to violence, isn't it? It is. And it's especially when it's justified. So I remember one night we we're sitting around having dinner. It's like a movie scene with this pretty big size guy. And he's sitting there and he's, uh, we're in Iraq and he's he's a former intelligence uh, from Germany, right? And I got my security team, and actually Dave was there. Dave was Dave was part of this. So we we I got Seal, Marsock, Delta, right? We're sitting on, and a guy at the table was head of special forces. He was a general for yeah, the Peshmerga. So we were in Kurdistan side, and he goes, uh, you know, we're having. He's like, oh man, what a team. What a team. So he starts talking to me. He's like, will you train my men? We have no combatives hand-to-hand deal. You you would be great. And, you know, and I, I'm like, well, yeah, sure. I mean, if I can work out the schedule and the timing, because, uh, uh, you know, it's hard. But, but he goes, and then he said this, would y'all like to go kill some ISIS tonight? <laughs> oh, man. And, of course, everybody at the table, this small team, we're like, yeah. And he goes, there's a place where they're digging tunnels. He goes, you know, I've 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 got all the platforms, you know, the nods along the weekend. He said, we'll, we'll be able to kill many. And you guys can. So. And you're like, Jesus wants us to kill. Yes. Yes. The, the, <laughs> say it, the Lord, uh, you know, and. We're going Old Testament Christians. Right, right now. Well, and a little bit of New Testament, because if you think of. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, yeah, bink, bink. And, and, um, and I got kind of a look from Dave, you know, who was doing the adult supervision that night. And he looked at me like, are you staying on point? Oh, so it's the Delta guy that's got to pull you back. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, former special force guy. He was, he was with first group and, uh, I said, well, and I was like, Lord, it's totally justifiable. And when you have a level of anger for evil and justice, right? There's a justice component to all of this. Because the one thing girls would always tell us, everybody would tell us, it doesn't matter what, how much you help them, they would always say, kill the virus. Kill them. Kill them. You, we have to stop them. So here we are. And, you know, guys who are... So the girls that have been victimized are begging you to kill them. Oh, gosh, yeah. And all of your training has trained you to kill him. Yeah. And now you've got a guy saying, hey, let's, here's the perfect opportunity to go kill him. Right. And this is where we start to justify uh, and go towards our natural instincts. Right. And so I, I threw up a little prayer, a little mortar prayer. Pop, Lord, this seems good. And we'll be done and back on point. I think of how many women they're not going to rape because they're oh, going to be six feet under. All day long. 
and right? think of how many people are not going to kill all the all the stuff that we do all to stuff. justify. And we're all shooters. Everybody, yeah, I know everybody you are. at this table, yeah. You know, we could hurt some feelings. And the Holy Spirit said this, and I do believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us, right? Sure. Where just kind of uniquely, and because of where we would be and the shots we'd be taking, and guys are digging, right? I just heard the Holy Spirit say. With absolute certainty, do you know every shot you'll take is a pure ISIS fighter? Not a conscript, not someone they captured doing the work, not someone, right? Because because of the distance, you can't ID sure. the person, right? And I remember just, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't. And it just made me, it just arrested my movement toward doing what the Bible says, don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. He'll direct your paths. And I went, gentlemen, because they were all frothed up. I mean, they were lathered up, ready to go. I said, gentlemen, it's not our mission tonight. We're staying on point. Sir, thank you. But our agreement amongst ourselves and our policy was we would not hunt ISIS but if they engaged us in our work, we would appropriately use force necessary to stop the manifestation of evil. And that's what we stuck to, and that's what we did. The killing is easy. It's the saving that's hard. And oh boy, ain't that the truth? It's the saving that's hard. You know, I thank God for people very committed to the craft of stopping people, killing people uh, who are monsters. And I, some of my best friends and colleagues, honestly, are probably some of the best in the world at it. I mean, I've got a friend on my board who was with me in Iraq, came over there when we were doing stuff, uh, Jeff Teagues. And he was, uh, he was a leader in Delta and CAG and probably a thousand missions. And no one ever glorifies the killing th that have character and integrity. And again, it's um, a lot of people talk about, I would do this, I would, you know. And, and you just think, well, have you ever held somebody that was dying? Have you, have you watched life ebb out of somebody, even if they were an enemy come out of I mean, and some, some you know, saying, just some need to be killed. There's no... Uh, I mean, their eyes are black, full of evil. They ne they need to die. This this that person is fully what I would say, full of evil. And and Jason Benham puts it well. You know, he said that they're the enslaved and they're the enslavers. And ninety nine percent of the people are the enslaved, but there are some people who are just utterly wicked. wicked. And um, you know, we trust in the Lord to deal with that, right? right? That's not for us. We don't know who's who. But um, sometimes I think pe Christians don't realize that we really want to give utter and complete mercy and love and go to the enslaved by their sin. Right. But there are those people who Satan has such a hold on. God says, I've turned my eyes from you. I've actually hardened your heart so you won't even believe in me anymore right. because you're going to go to judgment. And right. you have seen evil more than just about anybody, not just in what we're talking about, but when you were a kid, yeah. you yeah. were the victim of some horrific evil. And I think telling that story, Victor, will help some guys listening to this now, because yeah. you were 
sexually abused and locked in a freezer and left to die. Yep. I mean, you've been yep. through, you've been through literal hell on earth. Yeah. Talk about that well, a little bit. Well, you know, I I often like to observe men who are good at what they do. We can say they're one percenters. It doesn't matter what field, profession. It can be ministry. It can be military. It can be actors. It doesn't matter. Businessmen. And when I when I observe those guys, I tend to put them in two categories. They're either driven or they're led. And, and most men who are driven, it can be self-induced, but a lot of times it's because of their past. What are they proving? Why are they not good enough? Who are they trying to prove it to? I remember talking to a guy who was, he was, he was easily making eighty million a year in his business, and I remember him sharing some things with me, and I just said, "You're way beyond the idea of just making coinage, and you're beyond the competitive." How right? many boats can you ski behind? Right. right. Yeah, <laughs> I see the look in your eye. Right. You, you, you know the pursuit of wealth when it's far beyond the dollar. Right. And and people don't realize this. And I and I remember asking what what what's driving you? I'll never forget, he just said, My dad. My dad said I would never make it. My dad said I wouldn't. I said, Is he alive? He goes, No, he's dead. I said, And yet you're stuck in your own golden cage. How many man. I tell you how many men I've known who are enslaved to trying to please their dead fathers. Right. Because of because of words that were put on them. Right, it's a drivenness, and it is—it's not freedom. And um, now I would say right now to any dads who are listening to this, okay. who have been the dad who said those things to their kids, it's also amazing the power of apology, of owning up and saying, "Son, daughter, I'm really sorry." Right. It's the dads who died without ever having <sighs> repented to their kids. Kids get haunted for the rest of their life. I, I know so many 80-year-old men who are still being driven to prove their dead dad wrong. It's the truth, right? And you're right, man. Just by admitting where you were wrong, there's no fault in that. There's uh, my. I have one of my sons in this room. Have I ever apologized to you? <laughs> uh, plenty. <laughs> I'm glad it's not a little yogurt coupon card. I would have been punched that thing out. A number of times. And, you know, oftentimes the way I've apologized to him, when I've done something that was said something, I just said, hey, please forgive me for doing that or saying that. And then I've tried to say that at times I'd go, that's not how God is as a father. You just witness an earthly dad who I struggle. You know why that's important is something that happens to young people. You know, you go through this stage where you think your dad – and mom, but mostly your dad is your hero, and they're perfect, and they can't do anything wrong. And then you hit puberty, and your dad gets dumber and dumber, you know, yep. as you go along through your teenage years. And then you get into your, you get into your twenties, <laughs> and then you start to resent your dad for not being the man that you idolized him as being when you were ten. You're, you're, and you either right. break through that or you don't. Right. And there's lots of guys just still don't. living in that. Crap, Phil. And it's like time to mature, time to grow up. Your dad was a fail, fallible man, just like you are. Right. And like we were told in the LA Police Academy, when you get a new partner, learn from his good things and learn from his bad things. Eat the meat, bad spit things, out the I bones, won't be right? That guy. Yeah. And for all of us out there, we we want to emulate the good things we saw in our dad and learn from the bad things and say, I probably have a proclivity towards that. So let me be be aware. If he had a bad temper, 
maybe I have a bad temper. Right. If he was an addict, maybe I'm an addict. And to be aware of what we saw negative, not to hate him, but to say, let me learn what not to be to my kids. Right. And I like, Ken, that you used the word maturity. Just like, be mature. Because there's a lot of men who simply aren't Just mature. grow up, man. Get over it. it it's, you had a crappy dad. Get yeah, over it. right. I think sometimes you got to revisit some of the stuff to be able to move forward, right? To bring truth into, you know, oh, gosh, accept the truth for what it is and say, okay, you know, with my dad, my biological dad, he actually didn't claim me as his kid when my mom got pregnant. And uh, his words were, that isn't mine. He was, uh, at a certain point in his life, he you know, he was dealing drugs. He was uh, he ran women. He was a pimp. He, he had this underbelly deal. And, you know, but, I mean, he spent time on a boys' home as a kid. His dad, my grandfather, was a professional fighter from bare knuckle on the back of bars and barns to he made it all the way up, professional boxing, fought a match in Square Gardens as, uh, I think, he was second in the world. So, and... So and your dad was a tough dude too. Tough dude, yeah, knuckle dragon, thumper, right? But he uh, wasn't there to raise you when you. No, were which caused so much animosity, and didn't claim me until, you know, we've got this concave chest, and that's like our birthmark. He's like, oh, hell, he is mine, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, no denying, but still, he wasn't there for me as a kid. He had started another family, which caused you massive pain. Well, yeah, I thought my first stepfather was my real dad. I didn't find out I had a, a real blood dad till I was six years old. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. Here I am sitting in the back of the car, and this guy walks up, and flat nose, big forearms, inked arms, tattooed on him. He goes, hey, I'm your daddy. That's what, and I remember going, my first thought as a six-year-old was like, you're really scary and ugly. And uh, I, don't even, I don't even know if I got out the car, uh, but that was it. So, you know, with the craziness of childhood, the instability, my mother was married six times. I went to 14 schools, 17 different houses. And, you know, the challenge with that, you do develop imprinting. And I saw injustice as an early, at an early age and evil. And that's what you spoke about. And there was abuse, physical, sexual. And there's something about sexual abuse to a child that a child can't process it, you know. So you compartmentalize it, but it comes back to you later. It just doesn't ever go away. And I remember, you know, you, you get to your teen years and then you're angry. 
when you start processing and you go, what in the world? And then you get married and you have kids and then you get angry again because you're like, oh my gosh, who could do that to a kid, right? And I had all this anger. And you got to do something with the anger. Anger, you know, typically it's a secondary emotion, right? So what was my primary? I think fear. I think that's probably the primary in most people. Right? No control. So that's why I got into martial arts. That's why I was driven. That's why I joined the Marines because I was I was always driven to go, I will never get hurt again. You know, because – and people, if they they can read up the book or see the film, but, you know, I mean, I was tortured as a kid, electrocution. There were a lot of horrible things that went on, being dunked in water till I passed out and uh, just real intentional, crazy-making things. And then, like you said, left in a cooler uh, for dead. I'm, I'm thankful I was found, and then it was out in the country, and they actually – it was a it was a other guy that did that, and they hung him behind my grandmother's house from a tree, but he didn't die. They didn't try to the kill him. The guy that abused you. Yeah, uh, and and put me in that cooler. So – And you were how old when that happened? I was five then. Five. Jeez. Yeah, and then I would say the, the majority of all the super crazy abuse st- stopped when I was about seven. But, you, you know, from three to seven, I was already imprinted. That's when you're making the majority of who you are. And right. that that is hard to get. How did you get out of that? I mean, how yeah. did you get rid of that anger? I'm still working on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I'd say this, you, you know, God is the only one that, well, it's like Humpty Dumpty. I understand that riddle much better. You know, he sat on wall, had a great fall, all the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. But the king could. And I was Humpty Dumpty. Because, brother, 123 visits to a trauma specialist in nine months. I've been on Depakote, Debbie King, Prozac, Zoloft, Lithium, Abuse Bar. You know, I know what it's like to shove a gun in my mouth. I know what it's like to stand over somebody with the ability to kill them. I know what it's like to, to shoot somebody and watch them get buried. I've, I've seen horrible, evil, evil things. And one, I thank God that he is the redeemer. He can put a man or a woman's mind back together because we can have his mind and we can be transformed by the renewing of our own mind, right? And if we're not conformed to this world. And I I think a really huge step for me was being born again. And it was the gospel, just the simple gospel. And I'll tell you, I've been interviewed on TV, radio, you know, all these years, but very few Christians want me to actually share the gospel. They just want me to tell the story. And I was recently did a podcast, Mike Dillard, and he's interviewed me in his podcast. And I mean, he's he's had people like Anthony Robbins, so really, you know, top tier guy. And he goes, so Victor, what changed your life? And I'm on a secular deal, and I'm trying to be respectful of the host and his intent. I said, well, you know, uh, spirituality and uh, faith in God. And he pushes me again. He goes, but what? And then he goes, tell people about Jesus Christ. Didn't you get born again? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, man, if you've teed this up. And I and I did. I shared the simplicity of the message of the gospel. Jesus did down the cross for our sins. And if we are just put our belief and trust in him and repent, because repentance is a real thing to part of salvation. He'll put his spirit in us, 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what God did for me. And it became very real, June 22nd, 1986. And then, you know, I still had stuff to work through. I mean, and I still do because we battle our flesh, we battle the devil, and we battle the world. And in our quest to advance the kingdom of God. And that's what I would tell men listening right now. Be on a personal quest. Yes, be part of a team, church, men's group, promise keepers, but don't make this be it because failure will happen. Leadership will fail. People you look to will fail you. Bad things happen. You've got to have this personal relationship with God that he's saying, you are my knight on a personal quest and a mission designed for you and you alone. Draw from me, connect to me, and watch what I do in and through your life because I gave you the thumbprint to walk with integrity with him, to, to be a dad and be a husband. That, to me, is the most incredible accomplishment of my life. What about the guys who are listening to you going, yeah, but I'm, I've screwed up too much. I've been too angry. I've beat my kids. Yeah. I, was the, I was the enslaver and the abuser. Yeah. What, what would you say to those guys? Watch God show off in your life. You could be one of his disciples. This is what he does. Because <laughs> you know what? This God is a Savior and the Lord is a Redeemer. Let him redeem your life. I was struggling with forgiveness. I worked through it toward others, right, which is giving up my right to hurt others for hurting me. I, I, I looked face to, I've looked in the face of ISIS fighters more than once, and I've been able to make decisions to let some go as far as not be killed because they were young. They were conscripts. They were pulled into it, and I've looked in the eyes of evil, wicked men who recruited them and said, no, he's not going to make it. And I'll tell you, the hardest thing I've had to forgive was in others, was myself, for my own failures, for me going against my own conscience. And my wife helped me one time. She just said this, Victor, you need to forgive yourself. I said, I can't. And she goes, <laughs> she, I love it. She just said, look, forgiveness is simply of yourself is agreeing with Jesus that what he did on the cross is enough. Oh, that's good stuff. I had to start agreeing with the word of God that Jesus' death on the cross was enough for all of it or not of it, right, for me. So now uh, in my latter years of following the Lord, when I sin, willfully, just sin, just blow it, whatever it is, I just go, wow, Lord, that was stupid. And he's like, yep. And I don't feel him like crushing conviction of his hand, righteous hand around my throat, like I would do me, you know, or do others. And he's just like, well, yeah, it was a waste of time and missed your blessing or a waste of space in your brain or whatever. So what do we do? The simple thing, Lord, forgive me. I agree with you. That was wrong. Please forgive me. Cleanse me. All right. Now move up. Move on. It's like that for me now. That's one. The second thing, and and this I hope men hear, there are self-vows men can take that will destroy them. And it may be an echo or repeat of what they heard as a kid, 
or it may be just a repeating of what the enemy whispers. I'll never be able to overcome this addiction because my dad. I'll never be faithful to my wife because no one in my family has been. You're making these vows where you're actually giving yourself permission to believe that you can't be all that God's made you to be. And God's word says this, we're not mere men. We are not. It says it. Are we not more than mere men? We shouldn't look at ourselves as just men, destitute for failure and struggle. Yes, but failure, it, it doesn't have to be final, right? And I, I believe this with all my heart is uh, if we repeat more truth than what we hear, and if we don't agree with these self-vows, and I know this sounds silly, but I'm going to just share it. So, I mean, I, my background, I struggled with self-esteem and insecurity, right? Big time. So, uh, and one of the things I was always thin, I was always a slight guy, little, you know, little guy and, uh, wasn't great at sports, even with my speed and martial arts and gunners, you know, it was all technique, but not like just raw strength. Well, it wasn't later into life later as a Christian, uh, I was working out with a guy. Do you remember Malibu from American gladiators? It was a TV show called American Gladiators. Oh, right? I remember the show. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. So Malibu's one of the guys. We're working out, and he would he he would look at me and go, "Dude, you know, your pectines are up high. You, you could be huge." And I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." And you know, I'm 181 pounds, six foot two. That's my fight uh, fighting weight, life weight. He goes, "No, no, man, you could put muscle on." I go, uh, "No." But see, in my mind, I was still believing. That was my max. That's the best I could ever do because of a self-vow as a child. And he started speaking truth and life into me. And he goes, no, I'm telling you. And he actually convinced me that I could like change my body composition. I went from 181 at 6'1". And of course, I did protein. I got on hormone therapy. I mean, I all this. to uh, Today, I'm 217 at, at, I don't know, I'll be generous probably 13% body fat, right? So that's a lot of added muscle on a frame. And I didn't lose my speed. And it was because a brother was speaking truth into me that actually believe I believed. So men listening, don't, don't make your own ceiling what you think. And maybe it takes someone else telling you the truth of what you can be and can do far beyond. Some of them are going, oh, I can never get a degree. Or I can never speak another language. Or I'm limited to this. Or it's like, oh, you're limited by your self-vows, the lies of the enemy. And instead of going, God, you made me. What do you want me to do? And this is the last thing I'll say. Regardless of uh, men's pursuit of wealth, physical, intelligence, whatever it is, skill sets. Remember this. Skills can take you to a place where your character can't sustain it. So that can't be your ultimate goal. Whatever it is, skills and giftedness. How many guys do we know in ministry are so affected, but their character is so weak that when pressure comes, wham, and they get taken out. And it affects other people. Instead of them just being honest with themselves with one person, just saying, hey, man, can I just confide in you something? Yeah. All right, I'm a, I'm a, I got to give you some dirt on me. This one I'm struggling with. Okay. I, I remember I prayed for a guy one time. He was a pastor a well-known guy struggling with anger. And we're in a hotel room. He finally just, uh, he goes, I, I killed somebody. I said, really? He goes, and I never told the police. 
I said, well, how long have you been carrying that around? He's like, 60 years or whatever. He was, it was over 50. I was like, well, that's a burden. He's like, good. And um, I prayed for him. He actually got off his chest and got free, right? I won't get any further into that, but I'm telling you, truth, men may be able to confide in at least one person. Tell them anything and trust. Will you still like me as a friend? Am I still enough even though I'm being found out? that I lack in this or that, or, yeah, I, yeah, I still like you. Are we not more than the assimilation of what we think we are? We're child of God. We're more than conquerors. We're not mere men. Let's focus on the mission, not just our struggles. And I think we, we do that more. We roll out better as warriors, as fathers, as friends. Truth, just truth. I was just telling somebody, um, this morning, I said, you keep letting Satan steal your joy. You know, every time you accomplish something, it ought to be a time of great joy in you. You allow Satan's whispers to come back in your ears and destroy the very thing the Lord is trying to lead you to. It's it's true. And the scripture is true. He still kills and destroys. It's like, that's why we have to hear the Holy Spirit, but we got to recognize the voice of the devil when his demons whisper and say, uh, no, 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 I got the mind of Christ. That's a lie. Well, you have to. You can't. You need, oh, you don't, right? And it's uh, that's where a lot of addictions, a lot of broken relationships come, where I tell people, why are you pulling the pin on your own grenade? Knock it off. Put that thing in there. <laughs> uh, you know, if you got to pull it, throw it at the enemy. Hey, do me this favor as we close out. Tell people how they can receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Man. It's it's not a formula. It's not a process. People try to make it. It's a genuine heart knowledge, a real understanding that you need God and that you, you have done things wrong, which separates you from God. And you've got to be reconciled to him. There's only one way for it, and that's through his son, Jesus. That's why he died on the cross. That's the whole purpose of the cross, not for you to work your way to him, not for you to try to make him approve of you is one way that you just agree with God that your life has been marred by sin and that you want Jesus, who is the Son of God, to be your Lord, to save you. Now just surrender to him. Ask him for forgiveness and just say, I, I surrender. Please forgive me of all the things I've done wrong. You know what they are even more than I do because I we forget our sins. He doesn't. So if he doesn't, he knows how to wipe them out completely because of the blood of Jesus. And then just, just follow him, you know, walk with him daily, talk to him, talk to him, talk to him like you're a crazy person. You know, one of my favorite people in the movie Braveheart, you know, William Wallace, I always wanted to be William Wallace, but I'm more like the guy, the crazy one who came from the Highlands. Ireland. <laughs> yeah. He said, I, the Father sent me. And uh, I'm like, okay, I can relate to that guy, right? And I, man, I think be, be crazy for God. Talk to him like you know him and listen and read his word. Most men don't read the Bible. I'm not a good reader. I got a nice Bible. I'm not a good reader. But I got an app on my phone that I can turn it on, sit on my mower uh, when I was in, on our last trip or out at my property, 
and listen to the book of Revelation or all four Gospels. If you download version on your phone and then you click on a Bible app, there's a little microphone at the top. You can hit that and actually you can hear some nice British guy read you the Bible. Well, there you go. Yeah. Get it in your mind. And But I'll pray for people right now. If you're listening or watching and you go, okay, I need to get my life right with God. Maybe I know him, but I haven't been walking with him. I'll pray for you. And if you just need to give your life to Christ, I'll pray for you right now. So Let's do it. Jesus, thank you for each person listening, and thank you, God, for Ken and this podcast as being a vehicle to reach men who needed to hear this today. If you're listening, just I, let's say it out loud. You know, some people do that, but you don't have to. You can say it in your heart, but you just need to say, Jesus, I recognize my need for a Savior because I'm a sinner, and I know you died on the cross for me. Would you please forgive me in coming to my life? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me live a life I can't live in my own, but maybe I even do dream about. And I want to be your disciple. I want to be a follower of yours, a real committed follower. You're the only one that did it perfectly. So when I stumble and fall, I'm not going to give up because you'll never give up on me. So I surrender all I am, and I'll hope to be to you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. And you said earlier as we close out that uh, the Bible says we're not mere men. We're more than men. And why? Because if you just prayed that prayer, then the Lord has made you his child and that he, no one can ever take you away. Nothing can ever stop you from being his child. And he deposited a piece of, of himself in you called the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the more surrendered you are to the Holy Spirit, the more he begins to grow in you and fill you. Jesus says a mustard seed is the tiniest of seeds, but it grows into this giant tree, talking about how you just had a tiny little seed of the Holy Spirit implanted in you. And as you read God's Word and you pray and you seek Him and become His friend, and Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And there's only two of them. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as you grow in those that little tiny seed turns into the giant mustard seed tree that benefits so many people. Your life will become a song to the Lord. You don't have to stay in bondage anymore. And if you are saved, if you got saved a long time ago and you've been living a crappy life and you, you're filled with self-loathing and hatred and anger, you've told Victor's story. The prodigal son story is for you. The prodigal son in the, in the parable in the Gospels is not about an unbeliever. It's about a believer who goes away he, he is a son of the father and he finally when he comes convicted of his sin all he does is turn to the father and the moment he does the father comes running and picks him up and hugs him and says kill the fattened calf my son has come home so guys satan wants to tell you you're not good enough neither am i none of us are good enough god loves you anyway that's the good news yeah, it is thanks brother yeah you're man. awesome man <laughs> Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, 
and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. Thank you.